Our theme tonight is science, and it is a, a collaboration with the Northern Ireland Science Festival. I'm going to start off with, a, he's a regular 10 by 9 you can hear him on the 10 by 9 podcast many times, he's a brilliant storyteller, it's the wonderful Paul Hutchinson. Fire was the theme to bring them together. 11 and 12-year-old boys from the Irish traveller community, among other things, Catholic, and 11 and 12-year-old boys from the Highfield estate, among other things, Protestant. No previous contact with each other, we called the project Tichimi, which is the Irish traveller word for fire. Our aim was to bring the two tribes together with talk and touch of fire. We were not unaware of the risks. As fire gathers and attracts, so too can it burn, maim, hurt. We called the project Tichimi and we set about designing a project that was risky and safe, that included storytelling. You tell your story about fire and I will tell you mine. That included sculpture. We made mobiles of fire constructed from paper, string and metal wire. And eventually we got the fire brigade to light a fire we could all gather around. And we warmed ourselves with risk and flame, watched over by uniformed men, signed off by parents giving permission. We called the project Tichimi, and before we gathered the Irish travellers and the Highfield boys together, we met them separately each group on their own turf to get the lay of the land, to prepare them for encounters with each other and with fire. And this story, as with every story, is only part of the story. And so we were gathered in a warm classroom, myself, the arts worker for the traveller community, and six boys, two of whom were related, brothers. Let's call them Michael and Brendan. Michael being the older by one year. Anyway, this session was about warming up the boys to meeting the Highfield prods, as the boys like to call them. What sort of questions would you like to ask them, I said. Michael's hand shot up. He liked to go first, the leader that he was, the older brother of Brendan that he was. Do you believe in the Virgin Mary? He said. That's what you want to ask them. Yes, because they don't. <laughs> so you want to ask the question to them about which you already know the answer? Yes, it's important. Important to you. Yes, we all believe in the Virgin Mary, don't we? The group nodded, either in agreement or in slight fear of Michael's authority. And what if they say they do believe in the Virgin Mary? They can't, they won't. Why not? They're prods, uttered Michael loudly. And the other boys all laughed at how he said the word prods, confidently, with volume. The art worker for the travellers, also a Catholic, glanced over quickly at me with the slightest glimmer of a grin. But... What if they say they do believe in the Virgin Mary, I said. Well, then they're liars, shouted Michael. But Michael, what difference does it make if you do or don't believe in the Virgin Mary? 
It's what makes us different. It's what makes us, us. I moved on. What else might you be curious about? Are you a Protestant or a Catholic, said another boy. I think we might already know that answer. What else? And then the group began to talk about football, school, music, teachers, parents, birthdays, houses, and a whole list of things that would eventually connect both groups in so many ways. And then Michael, warming to the subject, said, sure, you can always tell a Protestant. How's that? Their eyes are closer together than ours. Really? Or is it farther apart, queried Brendan, the brother of Michael, the younger brother of Michael, the leader of the Traveller Boys? It's one of the two, farther apart or closer together. It's something to do with their eyes. Well, I wondered to myself, I wonder what the science of this is. I reached into the nearby art box, hoped about for a few seconds until I found what I needed, a ruler. So I said, why don't we all measure the distance between our eyes? Just to check all of this out scientifically. Sounds good, said Michael. The rest were just happy and activity was breaking up the talking. There was only one potential problem. I was a Protestant. I was the only Protestant in the room. What if my science experiment proved their horseshit theory about being able to tell Protestants and Catholics apart by the distance between their eyes? Holy test tube, this could go horribly wrong. I could reinforce this horrible hearsay with science. I had not revealed my Protestant birth tradition and they had assumed that working with them I was Catholic because only Catholics would work with them. Their assumption. What have I done? What have I done? Stephen Hawking, pray for us. <laughs> and so I began the science experiment with myself, measuring the distance between my eyes with a ruler and each result recorded by the arts worker. Next to go was Michael. Dear Einstein in heaven, let us have the same distance between our eyes. Would this be the big reveal that I would be exposed by science as a prod? I placed the ruler between his eyes and measured. Exactly the same as myself. <laughs> Isn't science great? <laughs> and then we continued round the circle of boys, all measuring the same, until it came to Brendan the younger brother of Michael. He smiled, expecting the same. He got something different. His measurement was significantly different from everyone else in the room. Holy spectrometers. Should I doctor the evidence, fake the results, ignore the facts to further good relations? I decided on the truth, and I called out the accurate measurement and waited. The room went still, as still as the final of a no-fidget contest. And then Michael said this to Brendan, to his younger brother by one year, he said, Are you a Protestant? <laughs>
The room went quiet, like a scientist about to put their scalpel into a lab rat. And Brennan said, no, of course not, with a slight fear in his voice, because he knew Michael could get violent, as only younger brothers can know. And then Michael said this, he said, are you my brother? <laughs> and then Brendan panicked and blurted out, of course I am, you know I am, I am, you know, I know. We've lived together all of our lives. Everyone stared at this scene of two brothers questioning their relationship. And I waited, tensed, ready to intervene, holding off intervening, waiting to see what would unfold from this science experiment with a ruler. I looked straight at Michael, whose fists were tightening, his knuckles whitening like a litmus test experiment. And I said to Michael, Brendan is your brother. Brendan is a Catholic. And his eyes are further apart than everyone else in the room. What do you think of your idea now of being able to spot a prod? It's bollocks, he said. <laughs> yes, I said. It's pure bollocks. And the rest of the room relaxed the saying of bollocks twice. Once by myself, then by Michael. And off we went on to another subject and another story and another conversation about sameness and difference. Two weeks later, the Traveller boys met the Highfield boys. And the first thing that Michael said was... Thank you so much, Paul. Okay, next up is our fourth story of the evening and we will have a break afterward. Um, she stepped into the breach very, very kindly. So please, a big warm welcome for Margaret McClory. I would never think of myself as a scientist. I associate it with hard facts and data, but on reflection, it is much more than that. I trained as a nurse in the Matter Hospital in the early 80s, and I was very happy and contented in my training and in my early nursing days. I learned how to do hospital corners on a bed, which is an art and a science and still appreciated by those whose bed I might make. I left nursing for, for, after, for 13 years and went into the education of young people as a teacher and helping to run a boarding school. When I was leaving teaching and coming back to Belfast from Limerick, I had no idea what I was going to do, so I reverted to my original calling as a nurse. The cleanliness and order appealed to me, the practical nature of the work that offered immediate help and support to people came as a BAM to my mind, or at least I thought it was a BAM. I completed my return to nursing course and in some ways many things had changed. I was wearing trousers now instead of my lovely dress and cape for a start. I no longer had a collar to start to an inch of its life. No matron and nursing officers checking the straight lines of beds. But most things in nursing had not changed. The body was still the body and the hip bone is still connected to the thigh bone. 
My first job after completing my return to practice was in an accident and emergency department in a hospital here in Belfast. My experience in nursing and especially in A&E led me to saying to my partner in earnest one day when she was worried about pain and an ailment, if you're breathing, it's not serious. My friends have not let me forget that lovely bedside manner. But I have to say in my defence that an A&E triage, an A&E triage point of view, that is kind of true. I was nervous in my first morning about how I would get on after 14 years away from fulfilling full-time nursing. But the practical organised part of myself gathered together and reported for duty. I need not have worried and fitting in or finding my place and knowing what to do. I was not afforded any of the luxuries of uncertainty or a cautious approach to a new team. In programmes like ER or Grey's Anatomy, you often see very dramatic scenes with internal organs being massaged by doctors, but in reality, it hardly ever happens. But within one month of starting, the red phone rang. If you've ever worked in A&E, you'll never forget that particular tone. My stomach still churns when I hear a similar type of ring. A patient arrived who had been involved in a very serious accident, and that's when the art and science of nursing and medicine were in perfect alignment. I found myself with about seven of my new colleagues working to save this man's life. I watched a skilled doctor break open the chest of a man whose name he did not know and did not ask, confident that it was the right thing to do to save his life. I clicked into automatic action, obeying instructions shouted by doctors, handing him instruments to use, making sure there was enough fluids pouring into this man's body, sourcing blood generously donated by another human being who we did not know. I knew what had to be done and I was able to do it. It was the time that it was at the same time frantic and yet calm, just 20 minutes. It was like clockwork, everyone working in harmony, completely in tune with one another. The sight from that day stays with me in one man holding and massaging the heart, literally holding and pumping the heart of another man in an attempt to make sure his heart would beat again without his help. As I said, I never think of myself as a scientist, but to neglect to think about that is to overlook all the training that goes into people like me and other nurses and doctors that mean for 20 minutes they can, with memory muscle and instinct and bravery and care and love, hold a man's life in his hands. I returned to education and working with young people in retreats because the care of the emotional heart and mind has been the joy of my work for more than 30 years. One of the days that helped me make that decision happened in that same A&E. A car accident arrived. After a lot of action, frenzy, organized chaos, I was tasked with taking a 10-year-old child to the ward. On the way, I tried to calm and reassure and comfort him. These many years later, the words still repeat again and again in my head. I'll be all right when I get a hug from my mum. My heart broke. His mum had died on the scene. Sometimes science just isn't enough. Thank you.
Thank you so much, Margaret. A hero. Thank you.